0: This episode of Case Acquaint contains disturbing and very graphic material. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everybody, welcome back to Case Acquaint. You have found episode 21. First things first, this week will mark the 30th anniversary of the disappearance of Randy Leach. Harold and Alberta Leach are no closer to finding out what happened to their son than they were the morning they found out he was gone. We're keeping them in our thoughts this week. And don't forget, they have a GoFundMe account set up. This is to keep on fighting in court for their rights to get justice for Randy or to find him and bring him home. Check out our blog post on Randy if you want to get a direct link to the GoFundMe we would like to acknowledge Child Abuse Prevention Month by bringing you some stories related to that subject. Actually, we're gonna be discussing a lot of things related to child abuse this week. Our main case is open and it originates from Pender County, North Carolina. The community is outraged that an arrest has not been made. We actually mentioned this case in one of our I-95 episodes months ago but it had only very recently happened at the time. This is the story of the rape and murder of five-year-old Peyton Fields. Pender is a rural county in North Carolina that occupies the space between Jacksonville, a military city, and Wilmington, which has a University of North Carolina campus. These are two fairly densely populated cities located to the north and the south of Pender County. Its eastern side ends at the Atlantic Ocean, and the rest of Pender County consists of mostly agricultural interests. Its total population is approximately 55,000 people, and the median income is reported to be about $45,000 annually. But that statistic is a bit misleading because the money is mostly concentrated in the eastern area of the county where they have popular beaches. So on the western side of the county, the median income drops to about the $25,000 range annually. This disparity is also reflected in property values. The following story will take place in the northwest region of Penner County. The events which sparked a case that remains unresolved to this day happened on a street called Blackwater Drive. On the west side of this enclave of small, double-wide mobile homes, you'll find Interstate 40. To the east, you'll find the Cape Fear River. Early in the morning of November 13, 2017, a child was brought into the emergency room at the small Pender County Hospital. It was five-year-old Peyton Fields, In the emergency room, staff was told that she'd been found unresponsive. It didn't take long for staff to deduce they were not equipped to handle Peyton's injuries. So after stabilizing her as best they could, they sent her to nearby New Hanover Regional Medical Center, which is located in the historic city of Wilmington. It's about a 35-minute drive. After sending little Peyton on her way, a nurse called the Pender County Sheriff's Office. The time was 5.43 a.m. She said, quote, I have a five-year-old that was brought in who is now intubated and headed to New Hanover with what strongly appears to be strangulation marks on her neck. The dispatcher directed the Pender County Sheriff's deputies to proceed to the New Hanover Regional Medical Center and also notified Department of Social Services. Little Peyton never regained consciousness and she died on Wednesday, November 15th. 2017. Little Peyton Fields, five years old, had been living in the home of her maternal grandmother. Also occupying the home on Blackwater Drive was her adult uncle, her grandmother's husband, and Peyton's own sister, close to Peyton in age. It's unclear how involved Peyton's own parents were in her daily care, but it's safe to say that Peyton's life was complicated and her safety was nobody's top priority on her very last night alive. It's been said that she was brought to the Pender County Hospital ER by her grandmother. Sounds like the most plausible scenario, but that hasn't been verified. We do know an ambulance wasn't called and authorities were not notified of Peyton's unfortunate condition until the sheriff's office was called by the ER nurse. Thus began an investigation that has inexplicably dragged on for months. And as of mid-April of 2018, has not seen any indication of impending resolution. A few days after Peyton was murdered, a mother shot and killed her 14-year-old son and herself at a home just a few miles from there. That story made national news. Not even two weeks after that, the area was in the national spotlight again, when little Mariah Woods mysteriously disappeared from her trailer home, reported missing by her mother's boyfriend, Earl Kimry. Mariah's home is approximately 40 miles away from where Peyton was staying. The media was in a frenzy with regular cable news updates throughout the day. The FBI was on the scene. Mariah's biological father, Alex Woods, spoke plainly to the press. Someone just walked right up there, grabbed the three-year-old out of bed, and she didn't cry, she didn't scream. Nobody heard anything. Four people in the house, two adults and two kids. Someone just comes up and snatches the baby and walks out. Alex Woods found it implausible that someone could kidnap a child in the middle of the night from an older trailer home. If you've ever spent much time in a trailer, especially the older ones, you'd probably say the same thing Alex said. You can hear everything that's going on in every other part of the house. That's just the way it is. And he didn't have to be an FBI agent to know that simple fact or who to suspect in the disappearance of his daughter. Mariah and Peyton had much in common. Both of them had parents who were not making being a good parent their life's missions We're talking about areas of the state with drug addiction rates at epidemic levels, where it's considered somewhat normal to be a regular user of crack, meth, heroin, and any combination of prescription pills. But I guess what Peyton's neighbors and at least some family members want to know is, why did the similarities between these two victimized children end there? As most of you probably know, Mariah was reported missing An Amber Alert was announced and a search commenced with so many people trying to help, they had to turn them away. The FBI was in charge. By that time, Peyton had already been buried and her case largely forgotten about. Never did make national news and only a few local media outlets reported on it. Those news stations, however, actively sought to get more information to keep the public updated because nearby residents were outraged, and they were scared. Neighbors wanted to know if they had to worry about their children being harmed in their own house. Several sex offenders live within a five-minute walk of that house, and the area, mostly double-wide trailers, is home to many young families. All questions were directed to the Pender County Sheriff's Office, but getting information from them was all but impossible. Peyton's father's family made regular appeals through local media, and the sheriff remained mostly silent. This hasn't changed. The FBI has not been asked to assist, and the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigation, was only utilized in order to polygraph one unnamed individual. So you'll remember, Peyton died on Wednesday, November 15th. A search warrant was carried out at the home on Blackwater Drive. Thursday morning, press filed a Freedom of Information Act to report on what the police were looking for with that search warrant, but a judge sealed it. The sheriff said, There's nothing at all in this investigation that leads us to believe there's any other person that's in danger or in jeopardy. He said, We have no reason to believe there's a person targeting other persons. This is an isolated incident. So even though a child was assaulted, raped, and strangled in her bed, even though no arrest was made, there's no reason to believe anyone is in danger, according to the sheriff. I have to ask myself, if I lived next door to that family with little kids at home, would I believe the sheriff? I think I'd be wondering, what's the holdup? It's either her or him or him, even though the sheriff was quick to say, Peyton's and Maria's cases are like, quote, apples and oranges. I might disagree except for the fact that one case was handled quickly and responsibly and one hasn't been. Let's just compare the timelines really quick. Peyton's brought into the ER on November 13th. She dies the 15th. Her body is sent off for an autopsy. Then the body is buried November 25th, two days before Maria was reported missing. Now, ever since then, up until he was confronted about it in March, we've had the sheriff saying he can't give out any information about the case because the autopsy results haven't come back. Thanks to a local news station, WWAY, we know he wasn't being totally truthful. And here's how they found out. In March of 2018, according to one of their reports, they had asked the sheriff once again about the results. He responded again that he hadn't received the results of the autopsy on Peyton. So WWAY reporter Andrew James said in his report that they tried looking in one last place for answers. They spoke with the North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, who said one day after Peyton died... The sheriff's office requested a rush on Peyton's rape kit, and the tests were turned around within two months. One test was completed on December 7th. The other completed January 12th. WWAY had pressed the sheriff's office several times for updates on the kit as well as the autopsy. The sheriff's only response was that he was waiting on the results. Now, if y'all want to check out this report from Andrew James and WWAY, it's on YouTube. We'll link it in our blog post about this case. It contains the same information we just gave you, and at about the 3 minute and 30 second point, you'll get to see Andrew James of WWAY confronting the sheriff on his smoke and mirrors campaign. Up until that point, nobody had been able to get any answers out of the sheriff besides Nope, just waiting on that old autopsy. Gee whiz, the state takes such a long time to complete those. Nothing I can do about it. But Andrew James gets in there, face to face on camera, and once he gets all that out of the way, he nails the sheriff down. Rape kit, he says. He knows the answer, but does the sheriff know that he knows the answer? Well, finally... After over two months of giving misleading, if any, answers, the sheriff finally owned up to the fact that he had information he wasn't doing anything with. He squirmed because he had been misleading the public when he said he didn't have anything. There's no way to verify just yet whether or not every single little piece of paper and signature has been provided to the sheriff from the medical examiner thus making a total liar out of the sheriff because the medical examiner's office won't talk. Nonetheless, we want to congratulate Andrew James and WWAY on doing a great job trying to report news of interest to their community and trying to get the truth out of the sheriff. On December 2nd, while Peyton's investigation dragged along, Mariah Woods's body was found. It was actually located in Pender County. Earl Camry was immediately taken into custody and multiple charges were filed. Clearly, there's no doubt who killed Mariah Woods, and they didn't need autopsy results to come back in order to make an arrest there. How in the world can somebody go and arrest someone without all the scientific autopsy results? The Pender County Sheriff must have been mystified at that. Now, are we insinuating the sheriff is hiding something untoward? No, we aren't. If y'all have listened to our other episodes, you know we're going to hold these investigators responsible when necessary. And we also give credit where credit is due. We try to be fair. We just want to remind everybody, especially the sheriff, that they work for us. They're accountable to us. We should not be misled. And I want to make this very clear. If he doesn't want to release information... All he has to do is say so, and all he has to do is say why. If he had said, I have all the results, or I have some of the results, but I can't release any information about him because it would compromise the integrity of my investigation. I need you to trust me that we'll be closing this case soon, and we can assure you that your kids are safe from whoever did this to Peyton. Well, that's an acceptable answer, if you hurry up and show that you're working on the case. Being misleading and deliberately showing a lack of respect for the public's right to hold you accountable for the work you get paid to do is not going to sit well with anyone except the sheriff's friends, sheriff's family, and of course the people responsible for Peyton's murder. The handling of Peyton Field's case doesn't reflect credit on the Pender County Sheriff's Office. That's all I'm saying. They're damaging their public trust in all sorts of ways when they mislead the public. We are not fools, we know how long an autopsy takes. We also know you can make an arrest before the autopsy results come back. So what does that mean? Does it mean they aren't competent in basic homicide investigation techniques? Because there are only a few people who could be responsible for this murder or who would know how Peyton died according to the information provided to the public. You got the maternal step-grandfather the maternal grandmother, and the maternal uncle, all of whom are adults. Could there have been more people in the home that night? Yes, there could have been. This means they need to get that information from the aforementioned family members of Peyton who were supposed to be protecting her. If they refuse to provide that information, that means the people living in the house, these three individuals, are obstructing justice and they should be arrested for that and charged. The other shockingly prominent detail that any member of the public can see about this case is the utter lack of interest the maternal side of Peyton's family has shown in bringing her killer to justice. You do have Peyton's father and his family pleading with authorities to give them some answers. They're not alone. There are many people from the area who are actively keeping Peyton's case in the public consciousness by holding vigils and continuously speaking with local media. They know they have no other choice if they want to see this case solved. Fortunately, we're getting ready to elect new sheriffs, and Pender County has six or seven candidates throwing their hats in the ring. If I lived in Pender County, I'd be questioning each and every one of them on what they intend to do about this case, and I want to know how they intend to handle the issue of earnestness when dealing with the public honestly don't know what this current guy can possibly be thinking right now so close to an election. Now another child was killed in the area at around the same time as Peyton and Mariah. That child was 16 month old Kinsley Oxendine Scott who was in the care of her grandmother who I don't know if it's a coincidence or not shares the same last name as Peyton Fields's maternal grandmother. Kinsley's killer has also already been arrested and charged, even though her murder, like Mariah's, didn't happen till after Peyton's. In fact, he was charged within just a few days of her death. Her autopsy didn't present any mysterious delays in relaying information to the public or in authorities making that arrest. We were told immediately that she died of blunt force trauma to the head, and guess what? The FBI wasn't called in for this case. No apples and no oranges here. Just children being killed, only in one case, nobody's getting charged. Kinsley's accused killer was Grandma's boyfriend. One thing to note on Kinsley's case, Kinsley was killed in Robison County, so her accused murderer had to be moved to a different detention center for his own safety since he was receiving death threats in the Robison County Detention Center. That can't come as a surprise to anyone, nor would it be a surprise if he would have been attacked there. Robeson County's not a place any sort of baby killer would want to get locked up. North Carolina, as we mentioned a few months ago in our I-95 series, is a major contributor to child sexual abuse and human trafficking of children. Trafficking children is just another revenue stream for criminals, and gangs are taking on this new commodity with brazen enthusiasm. They like trafficking children because they're first and foremost a desirable product. Also, children are less costly to control, maintain, and transport. Finally, their revenue stream is constant and continuous, and the profit margin is large. Because the rape of children is an extremely popular activity for many people, they have naturally become a commodity to their criminal parents, guardians, or whoever has immediate control over them. Now, there are many who say that the whole idea of human trafficking has been blown way out of proportion and conflated by so-called activists. This can likely be attributed in part to the difficulty in acquiring accurate statistics. When you have an unregulated black market, there's no way to track things. The secrecy inherent in this subculture of criminal sexual exploitation of children means it's impossible to get hard numbers there are other factors. The sheer number of children considered to be runaways frequently overwhelms local law enforcement agencies, and at any given time, most major cities cannot accurately provide a valid account of their missing persons. We've actually been keeping our eye on St. Louis, Missouri lately, in which some days 15 or more children go missing. The police there have all but given up trying to keep track, and they don't even have pictures of most of these children. A grassroots community propelled effort has been started by volunteers to search through social media and see if they can identify and collect images and information on these missing kids in order to get them reported. They're not affiliated with any agency or nonprofit, just a group of concerned citizens. So, however much we'd like to be able to deny the brutal reality of child sex trafficking, and use the lack of data in order to call it a big hoax? There are some facts that we can't ignore. The fact is, the FBI doesn't waste its resources on hysterical, panicky activists. It's been conducting regular sting operations involving not only dozens of local agencies, they've also coordinated these efforts with other countries who have their own task forces set up, including the UK, Canada, and several Asian countries to name a few. Last year, one of the FBI's Operation Cross-Country Stings netted 84 child victims being trafficked for sex. Skeptics say, Oh, those are just runaways. Oh, really? That three-month-old baby somebody was selling sex with for $600 must have been a rebellious two-month-old in order to get herself into that situation. She was rescued along with her five-year-old sister. Here in North Carolina during that particular sting, they busted people and rescued children from Raleigh, Fayetteville, Lumberton, and Charlotte. But clearly, the FBI can't root out every child predator. There's a dark underworld of child porn and a culture dedicated to the sexual abuse of children in which people share ideas on how to groom them, abuse them, and how to get others to pay for abusing them. In Gary, Indiana, Christopher Bauer and Natisha Hillard were caught sexually abusing Hillard's children. Hillard allowed Bauer to pay her so he could have sex with her infant starting at age four months, not stopping until that baby was 18 months old. What kind of disgusting creature would do that to a baby? And what other kind of disgusting creature would allow that to be done to her own child? will provide a link for you so you can see what kind. She also let him create child porn of her other daughter, three years old. Police found out later, after getting a hold of his phone records, that Bauer was bragging about his exploits. Earl Kimry was using chloroform to try to put Mariah Woods to sleep. Where did he learn these tactics? Authorities call it drug-facilitated sexual assault, and while it's something widely considered to be a problem for adult women who are subsequently raped, it's something that's commonly done to children in much the same way, only it's usually done by their own guardians and of course it's likely to only be found out when a child dies like Mariah. I would think that if we don't have a little bit of public outrage, there's something wrong with us. So what's being done about the human trafficking, and in particular, trafficking of children? Well, most recently, President Trump signed the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which is allowing the government to shut down websites used to facilitate sex trafficking and to prosecute owners and users of those websites. I'm still waiting to see what they're going to do with social media, which is a popular means of grooming and affecting the disappearance of children and teens by pimps who describe themselves as babysitters, grossly perverting that term. Currently, here is where we stand with these North Carolina child rape and murder cases we've been talking about today. Peyton Fields. No arrest, no information on a person of interest. Is her killer walking free? It appears there are only three people who could possibly be charged. And one of those people, by the way, was just arrested on charges of breaking and entering and larceny. This just happened about a week ago, and that person, as far as we know, is being held on a $50,000 bond for that. He was arrested in the company of a family member who caught the same charges, but who was released on $10,000 bond. Mariah Woods, Adolphus Earl Kimry II did not guilty to first-degree murder and felony child abuse inflicting serious bodily injury. Under North Carolina law, the aggravating factors will qualify this case for the death penalty if convicted. For little Kinsley Oxendine Scott, grandma's boyfriend Christian Troy Clark has been charged with first-degree murder and felony intentional child abuse. And we got two quick last bolos to tell you about. These guys could be anywhere. First, I have Michael A. Cornish. He had an open warrant out on him for child abuse with serious bodily injury on a child under the age of 12. He's on the run and authorities think he may be in New Hanover County, North Carolina. He was last known to have been driving a green 1994 Saturn SL2 with the license plate number EBD-7861. Anyone with information should call Crime Stoppers at 919-735-2255. The other be on the lookout is for two people. They're on the run together. That would be William Bill Rogner and his lady friend Penny Holt out of Putnam County, West Virginia. Penny Holt is only wanted for questioning in Rogner's case. Now he is facing a lot of charges. He's got two counts of sexual abuse by a parent, one count of sexual assault in the first degree, two counts of sexual abuse in the second degree, two counts of incest, and two counts of distribution of controlled substance. He's catching two charges for years of abusing three child victims. Now the cops are saying this guy is armed and dangerous and he's already made threats to law enforcement. As a matter of fact, he should know how dangerous that is since he is a former law enforcement officer himself. If you have any information about this case, they want you to call the West Virginia State Police at 304-824-3101. You're advised to not approach Rogner. Now finally, regarding domestic violence and child abuse. What if you'd like to know how you can help or how you can get help? First of all, if you're a witness to any sort of child abuse, or if a child confides in you that they're being abused, or if you yourself are being abused, please don't be afraid to report it. The authorities can't do anything if they don't know about it. You can call 911 if it's an emergency, and if it isn't, call the police they can create a preliminary report and notify the appropriate agency. If you would like someone to talk to about any issues related to child abuse, there is help at the National Child Abuse Hotline. Call 800-422-4453. For being abused, you have options. First, make sure you're not being monitored. If you can safely call, dial the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800 799 7233. To chat online, go to thehotline.org. Please don't forget, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is not just for women. It's for anyone facing issues associated with domestic violence. If you're looking for resources, that phone and website can also help you by providing information on what services are available in your locality. So we're going to keep you updated on all these cases As I mentioned, you know you can always head over to our website for more information and links And we're going to have pictures of these wanted individuals up there as well If we have an update for you, it's probably going to first show up on the relevant blog post to whatever the story is And we'll also post it on our social media We do try to be able to announce everything on our show updates I wanna thank you for joining us in acknowledging Child Abuse Awareness Month. Also, you can utilize our social media and our website to let us know what you think about these cases. Who do you think hurt Peyton Fields? How long do you think is a reasonable amount of time for the sheriff to take to make an arrest in this case? I wanna thank you for joining us in acknowledging Child Abuse Awareness Month and I want to thank you for listening today. We'll talk again soon.